Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, December 19th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, first off, a big hearty congratulations to waitress star Betsy Wolf, who sent out some social media pictures over the weekend indicating that she had, in fact, gotten married uh, over the weekend. Um, she got married to her longtime fiance, Adam Crothhammer, who is a French horn player, who apparently I believe the story is that they met when they were both working on the mystery of Edwin Drood uh, for RTC. So or, there was some sort of Droodish connection uh, that got them together. And there was a great spread that we talked about back in the spring, James, you might remember, um, that they did about her house or her their, their apartment mm-hmm. in the New York Times, yeah. one of those things um, that, that talked about that story. So congratulations to them. As far as I know, I, I haven't seen anything that indicates that she will be out of Waitress um, for the next week or so. No imminent honeymoon, apparently. So um, congratulations to them it doesn't look like it'll impact her work schedule but um she we've talked about before she's just such a a a warm um vibrant person that i'm really happy that uh that they got married yeah she uh the pictures are beautiful we should put a link to the instagram instagram yeah they'll be in there yeah one other thing i want to say is yesterday apparently i got my Lindsay lohan filmography confused a little bit <laughs> and I confused Parent Trap and Fr- uh, Freaky Friday. I apologize. I've never claimed to be an intelligent man um, and I have to admit I am not big on the uh, the ovoir of Lindsay Lohan so uh, she, she's not one of the stars that I follow closely so I apologize for screwing up her Haley Mills related movies um, but either way, so, sorry. Uh, did, when you were studying journalism at The Ohio State University, uh, did you ever uh, have a class or t- discuss that there are 10 mistakes on the front page of The New York Times every day? Um, no. Uh, my my degree, technically, whatever, but no. No. Okay. Well, so what I'm saying is I'm giving you a pass, you know? Uh, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> because that. I, we, we, yeah, make hun- we make hundreds of mistakes in this week on Broadway yeah. every week. Well, and and people only tweet us about about half of them. So yeah. I mean, actually, ironically, uh, we're recording this on Monday night. Obviously, I've already come back from one movie. I saw the screening of the movie uh, The Post, which is about the Washington Post's um, decision to run with the Pentagon Papers. I'm still embargoed on that. But again, bringing into the journalism to decisions, there are big things and there are little things. Lindsay Lohan, to me, is a little thing. <laughs> All right. The reviews are in for Farinelli and the King on Broadway. Yeah, James, yesterday, because we recorded a little earlier on Sunday so that I could write the Broadway World review for A Christmas Story Live, which we will talk about, we didn't get to the reviews of Farinelli and the King. Um, as we've discussed multiple times, and it's very short little preview period on Broadway, Mark Rylance has brought the London production of Farinelli and the King over to Broadway's Belasco Theater. It had a very week, short week-and-a-half-ish run uh, in previews before it opened on Sunday. The new play is by Claire Van Campen, is directed by John Dove. Um, uh, King Philippe V of Spain, played by Rylance, is plagued, plagued by insomnia and lies awake in his chamber. The queen, desperate for a cure, hears of Farinelli, a castrato with a voice so divine it has the power to captivate all who hear it. Philippe is astonished when Farinelli sings and begs him to stay. But will Farinelli, one of the greatest celebrities of his time, choose a life of solitude over fame and fortune in the opera houses of Europe? That's the setup. Here's the reviews. Ben Brantley of The New York Times made the show a critic's pick, writing, quote, as was observed of another stark raving royal named Hamlet, 
madness in great ones must not unwatched go. This is especially true when a great one is portrayed by one of the greatest actors on the planet. Uncork the champagne and unfurl the straitjacket. Mark Rylance is once again ruling audiences at the Belasco Theater, where the strangely enchanting Farinelli and the King, Flair Van Campen, uh, Claire Van Campen's shimmering fairy tale for grown-ups opened on Sunday night. At this point, you may think the last person you want to spend time with is a crazy, capricious head of state with the power to wage cataclysmic war. But fear not, you are far more likely to see yourself in this sad king who worries that he is an imposter of the highest order than any resemblance to a certain contemporary world leader. Anytime a show gets a New York Times critics pick, that is a good thing for the show. Um, moving on to some other reviews, Jeremy Gerard of Deadline said, quote, the performances under John Dubb's direction are uniformly superb. He then goes on to talk about some of the supporting actors before getting to the crux that we are all interested in by saying, quote, and then there's Rylance. Remember Rylance? It's a review about Rylance. He compels us to watch him in close-up because he has the star's gift of playing to the cheap seats without actually playing to the cheap seats. A 16th-inch twitch of the shoulder conveys the world-weariest of shrugs. The slight escalation of his drawbrow uh, eyebrows rings louder than any shout of protest. And the throwaway line, like the subtle gesture, penetrates as keenly as any of Richard III's mocking asides. Meticulously offhanded, it's funny and sad, a performance to be savored in a totally engaging little triumph of a show. Wrapping these up because you're starting to get the gist, I'm sure Barbara Schuler of Newsday wrote, quote, really, though, this is a play about the curative qualities of music. While it would be satisfying enough to simply embrace Rylance's mastery and the glorious works of mostly Handel, which are the songs that Farinelli sings, there is a more significant message, one well documented by research, but perhaps more valid to theater lovers in the soaring popularity of You Will Be Found from Dear Evan Hansen. Bullied, anxious, depressed. Music can make you feel better. James, I believe you're seeing the show later this week, but it sounds like no surprising, uh, no surprises here because we talked about how successful this show was in London. But it sounds like this one is a show that uh, will be very compelling and, and very uh, important for theater fans to see. I don't know if the grosses will ever live up to the artistic merits of this show, but it sounds like it is a very valuable addition to this Broadway season. Well, given the uh, limited limited run right now that that's announced uh i think it's playing through march or so and mm -hmm. the fact that rylance has become you know a, a a really big draw yeah. uh perhaps this will uh the grosses will match up against it i'm interested in what brantley said uh, in the comparison of about the madness of characters and i immediately thought it's time for an amadeus revival with mm. Rylance's uh, <laughs> Mozart, or it maybe even better Salieri, or a one man Amadeus. Uh, he could do both. He could <laughs> he play could both. Do both. I'm all for it. He yes. could do it. All right. Uh, tell us what happened in last week's Broadway grosses. Well, last week's grosses took a bit of a hit across the board, but only slightly as sales fell about 2.55% to come in at $34,359,422. Despite the week-over-week -week decline, the grosses were still up over 12.5%, or almost $4 million, from last year, despite selling about 4,351 
you know, with a rounding, uh, fewer tickets. Uh, only seven shows saw week-to-week gains. Wicked, SpongeBob, both uh, of those shows were over $105,000 in increases. Then there was Cats at 44000 The Lion King, Come From Away, Anastasia, and Once on This Island, picking up $9,700. Hamilton was on top, as usual, with $2,827,018, followed by Hello, Dolly at $2.45 million. Then Springsteen, <laughs> Springsteen on Broadway, declined $495, the exact cost of a Let's single see. ticket. Yeah, they uh, must have given away an extra comp last week. <gasps> comp. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, James James uh, sent me a screenshot earlier uh, on, on Monday telling him he again did not get tickets to the show. I felt so bad. I, <laughs> you did not really, feel bad. You did not. I did. No, I did. You mocked I me. You, I, I saw you through the text message. You mocked me through the text message. I didn't, I didn't communicate my levels of feeling bad, um, <laughs> but I did feel bad after I made fun of you. Um, anyway, <laughs> then, uh, then there was the Lion King, Wicked, Dear Evan Hansen, Aladdin, Come From Away, The Book of Mormon, The Band's Visit, Anastasia, and Waitress, all above $1 million for the week. Uh, it was another I hate to laugh. I said the other day, I feel bad laughing about this, but it was another brutally bad week at the August Wilson as Home for the Holidays dropped over twenty one thousand dollars to come in at just seventy thousand four hundred seventy dollars. That means that it is at four point eight percent of its gross potential with the average ticket purchased at twenty four dollars and thirty nine cents. Well, I was thinking uh, about well, this because we talked about it yesterday that we mm-hmm. felt bad about this. And this just goes to show you that the holidays are not about commercial commercialism. It, they're just doing this show out of the love of their hearts. All right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, in uh, in its surprise final week on Broadway, M. Butterfly declined almost $21,200 to finish on just 370427 Otherwise, James, it was it was a pretty normal week. Um, this is I think this is probably what we would have anticipated. Maybe not everybody in the red, but fair staying fairly consistent. Um, I would think that this week that we are currently in, as some schools are already out for winter vacation, maybe even your kids are. I would imagine we'll see a boost. And then the next two weeks around Christmas and New Year's, we'll see the big jumps that we normally see around the holidays. However, to me, going back to home for the holidays, James, that's the biggest story of these grosses for me. Because as we talked about before, there were rumors that it was going to close on Sunday. Um, From what I'm hearing, one of the reasons it didn't is because the cast and the band and perhaps um, obviously the stage managing crew because they're uh, on those similar contracts. They had a two week buyout clause in their contracts, which means that even if the show had closed on Sunday, they would still have to be paid for the last two weeks of the run, meaning that even if it had closed on Sunday, as Michael Riedel reported in the post, as um, they'd posted an actual notice but weren't sure if they would follow through, the production wouldn't be saving all that much money. I mean, they'd be saving money, but they would still have a big chunk of change to put out with no potential for income to come in. So, uh, you know, I think at this point, if they've already lost this much money, they might as well try to get something during the actual Christmas, um, uh, you know, week before and week after Christmas leading up to New Year's because it closes on the 30th. I mean, I think this show in general was a really bad idea, but I think it's probably the right idea to keep it going till the 30th at least. They'll keep it going because uh, next year, national tour straight from Broadway. I hate you. (laughs) All right. 
So, um, as you mentioned, we uh, recorded a little bit early yesterday because last night, or two nights ago, you were watching A Christmas Story Live. So tell us, what what did you think about Christmas Story Live? All right, I'm going to read my first two paragraphs for my review before I get into some other stuff because I want to communicate my feelings coming into this live thing and then what I thought coming out so you can accurately understand where I'm coming from. My review started off... Quote, for me, there has always been an inherently cynical, bah humbug spirit that pervades the majority of the A Christmas Story musical or Christmas Story film. I can't even read my own uh, copy here. Uh, The 1983 film, which brought the phrase, you'll shoot your eye out to basic cable for 24 straight hours every Christmas, is ultimately the antithesis of nearly every other Christmas classic. Though the film is beloved as a holiday cult favorite, at the heart of the story is a young boy living in constant fear of his parents bullies, missing out on the gift of his dreams, and practically everything else around him. There's also the issue that the boy's sole, increasingly problematic, wish is to get a gun for Christmas. Despite that depressing take on the holidays, the musical version of the story that was broadcast live on Fox on Sunday night was able to keep the film's story and structure, but to infuse it with an imagination and winsomeness that transformed it into a tale of childhood wonder and persistence. Granted, it was a mostly inconsequential tale, but the vibrancy of the score and the performances made it an enjoyable, if not all that memorable, viewing experience. So in my little lead there, I admit freely that I don't like the movie version. (laughs) I've seen it once or twice back in the day, and it just completely rubbed me the wrong way. I don't watch it when it's on TBS every year, TNT or whatever it is. But I feel like they rounded the edges with this, and I, I didn't see it on Broadway, James. I know you did. Um, but with this presentation they they aired on Fox, the edges were rounded. It was a little more sweet, a little more genteel, a little more sentimental, which worked for me. I don't think that this is necessarily Pascal Paul's best score. It might actually be their worst that I'm familiar with. Um, but it was good. Um, but I think the really the strongest thing were the performances. Um, I, I think Chris Diamantopoulos, who just ended his run in Waitress a few uh, months ago to get ready to do this, he was one of the the, the show stealers. He was great playing uh, Ralphie's father. Um, but the real standouts to me were first the ensemble of kids. They had uh, some kids who'd been on Broadway before, both in Kinky Boots and School of Rock. Um, the kids were fantastic dancing, singing. It was a little cheesy. It was a little bit, you know, here's some cute kids, watch them dance, but it worked. This is the holidays. Those things work. But then we had the performances of two incredibly talented Broadway alums and Jane Krakowski as uh, Mrs. Shields, the, the, the teacher at the school. She just can do it all. And I, 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 you know, we know how great she is, James, and we enjoy seeing her on TV and stuff, but we know that she's more than just being the airheaded blonde on either 30 rock or Kimmy Schmidt. She can sing, she can dance. She's hilarious. And she got to show all of that in a Christmas story. But to me, if you're putting a star on the top of the tree, it's got to be a star of David because Anna Gasteyer, former Broadway alphabet, um, got a, one of the new songs that Pascal Paul wrote for this. And it was, she played the mother of Schwartz, Ralphie's Jewish friend. And she honestly, I, I think that song very well might win Pascal Paul their Emmy to complete their EGOT um, because it was so good. Uh, it really kind of, a you know, I, this is going to sound bad. Maya Rudolph, who played Ralphie's mother, eh, couldn't really sing the songs um, as as well as they should be. I kind of wish that 
Anna and Maya, who were obviously co-stars on Saturday Night Live for many years, I wish they'd kind of switched. But more importantly, why are Chris Diamantopoulos and Anna Gasteyer not starring on Broadway or at least off-Broadway on the regular? Because they are both fantastic. Um, overall, I thought it was a fine musical live television broadcast. It wasn't as good as Grease. But I have so many issues with all of these live things. I think there's just something missing. I think the commercials cause a great deal of problems in these presentations. And until they're able to either shorten these things so the commercials don't continually take the air out of them, I don't think you're ever going to get a completely satisfying product. But for the most part, for what this is, a movie that I don't, you know, a musical based on a movie that I don't like, it was good. It was fine. All right. So <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there are people out there who think I'm an idiot and think I don't know what I'm talking about, either about the movie or the musical. So, so free, feel, feel, uh, feel free to tweet me. I know you will anyway, um, which I love. Um, but, uh, you know, I, the, 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 it looks like the opinions were all across the map and the, the ratings weren't great. I, you know, I have it in the show notes if you want to look at the ratings. The, the ratings, the full ratings aren't out yet because they just do the the first initial ones, and then they'll update throughout the, the the next few days. But they were bad. They were really bad. But there was no buzz and no big stars, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, no no buzz, no big stars. I think you've hit on something there with the commercials. The, this is not an art form that is written for commercials, and mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't lend itself to that. So unless you can get some overarching sponsorship like a Hallmark or – wonderful world yeah. of disney or something like that well, too there there is a comparison to be made here you know most sporting events have commercials you know during timeouts or in between innings or in between quarters or halves you know what doesn't have a lot of breaks is soccer or football um they only have the halftime but they find a way to get sponsors to always have, you know, their logos at the top or scrolling across the bottom. Now, obviously, that's not as intrusive for sports as it would be for a musical, which is a narrative you're trying to focus on that. But there are ways to do this that aren't reinventing the wheel. You might have to reshape the wheel a little bit, but there are ways to do this to minimize the commercials. And I think Fox did as good of a job as they possibly could. Some of their commercial breaks were only 30 seconds. They had little buffers in between with the guy who played Ralphie, Andy Walken, um, kind of giving some behind the scenes stuff. Um, they did the best they could, but it's still, it just, you just feel like you're running into a brick wall every time they go to an old Navy commercial because you're, they often come after musical numbers and you're so excited to come out of them. And then you got to watch a commercial. So I, yeah, <laughs> so uh, this uh, played on Fox, right? Correct. Uh, so I'm looking at 20th century, 21st century Fox uh, revenues rose 7.1% to 3.97 billion in 2016. So maybe they could take two hours out of the schedule and eat, well. the, eat it. Well, but keep in mind, 20th Century Fox will no longer be owned by Rupert yes. Murdoch. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the Fox TV station will stay with Rupert Murdoch, but they're going to probably not be doing many of these anymore because Murdoch has said specifically, while they will still look at scripted things, they're going to focus more on live sports and reality shows. Um, so I don't know that if, in a few years, maybe after Rent might be the last one, if it actually gets going um, in January of 2019, that we... May, might see that that might be the last musical we see on Fox for a while. Hmm. 
All right. So next up, TDF announces plans to give free Broadway tickets to veterans. Yeah, James, this is such a great story. We heard about it first on Sunday, and then we got the official press release on Monday. But yesterday, TDF announced that it had partnered with New York City Councilmember Eric Ulrich, uh, who is the chair of the Committee on Veterans, to launch a pilot program called TDF Veterans Theater Going Program, which will provide admission at no cost to New York City's former servicemen and women of all ages who have served in any branch of the armed forces. The program was launched on Sunday with 50 New York City veterans attending a performance of Miss Saigon. Thanks to funding from the New York City Council, TDF will offer a limited number of free tickets to Broadway shows, which will be distributed through partnering veterans organizations. In addition, talks with veterans who are working with each production will be offered to help build a sense of community with former service members in attendance. TDF will also offer complimentary TDF memberships to any participating veterans so so that they can continue their theater going at greatly reduced costs. To date, seven Broadway shows have committed to providing tickets at low cost for those pilot programs obviously first miss saigon then beautiful come from away school of rock chicago a bronx tale and kinky boots james you know it's funny because we often talk about eduham and the stuff that roundabout does and all these um, different initiatives to get young people into the theater at discounted costs but this is such a great program to get you know people of all generations but service members specifically into the theater it it, it never ceases to amaze me at how people are trying to find ways to bring people to the theater i it it you know i'm sure that you can look at it in a cynical way and say that there's some sort of commercial long game being played and i'm sure there is but this just makes me happy to see that people are giving the gift of theater in one way or the other it's the best gift to give All right, show and casting news. What do you got? All right. First up, yesterday we learned that Taylor Trench will be taking over the role of Evan Hansen on Broadway beginning on Tuesday, February 6th of 2018. He was previously announced to be taking over the role without a specific date. But we also learned that current Evan, Noah Galvin, has extended his run in the role to wrap up on Sunday, February 4th, obviously the last performance before Taylor takes over. He was originally going to end in mid-January, but he added a few weeks. Trench is obviously currently starring as Barnaby Tucker in Hello, Dolly! on Broadway. And finally, in our short little show and casting section here, James, yesterday, the La Jolla Playhouse announced that Diana, a world premiere musical about the life of Princess Diana, will be a part of the California Theater's 2018-2019 season. The show is from the Tony Award winning team behind Memphis, Joe DiPietro writing the book and lyrics, and David Bryan, who's writing the music and lyrics, and will be directed by La Jolla's artistic director, recent Tony winner, Christopher Ashley. James, we've talked about this show before, and... Unlike so many other musicals, this one just seems to have come out of nowhere. Um, Granted, we still don't know when the show will hit the stage. It could be as early as like early August 2018 or it could be, you know, like late July of 2019. I would probably bet on the latter being closer to the right date. Uh, But with this creative team, it's it's definitely something that's interesting and to keep an eye on. I I don't know how they're going to musicalize Diana's story, but I'm a firm believer that any concept can be made into a good musical if it's done well. Hence, the DPH on Brian musical, uh, The Toxic Avenger, which I really enjoy, which who would have thought a trauma a trauma film uh, m- movie being turned into a musical would be actually good. But if you know, this is obviously not <laughs> this is obviously not a toxic show, um, but they figured out a way to make that work. So I'm interested to see uh, what they do with this. 
Joe DiPietro has been a guest on This Week on Broadway a few times. Mm-hmm. I, boy, he writes a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, like he's going out of, like he's running out of time. Like he's running out of time. All right. Sarah Michelle Geller visits Cruel Intentions, the musical. It's kind of like I, when, I, uh, is that like when uh, Jerry Springer visited the opera? Yes, and, or when uh, Barbara Bass visits uh, Come From Away. Yes, um, uh, although those people are real, actual people, not playing. Anyway, yes, um, I've made no secret about my decades-long um, love for Sarah Michelle Gellar, dating all the way back to the teen soap opera Swan's Crossing. Uh, and I, I, she's still one of my favorite um, celebrities, even though she doesn't do all that much anymore as a performer. But she is a part, if you didn't know this, she is a part of The Cruel Intentions, the musical. She actually is the recorded voice giving the pre-show turn off your cell phones announcement. Um, and she saw the show multiple times when it had done its previous incarnations out at Rockwell Table and stage in Los Angeles. And I believe she came last year uh, when it was in New York. I'm not 100% sure of that, but I feel like she did. Uh, but she did over the weekend go and see this current production that is running with uh, Lauren Zacharin, late of Great Comet, um, in the in her role. Um, it also stars uh, Constantine Mar- uh, um, and No, is that right? Did I get the right Constantine there? I feel like I did. Uh, Constantine Rasuli. That's it. I get the Constantines confused. Yes. Constantine Rasuli, Carrie St. Louis, Jesse Shelton, Alex Boniello, Brian uh, Moeller, uh, Matthew Griffin, and Patricia Richardson, um, the star of Home Improvement. But there's some great pictures on social media. If you follow Sarah Michelle Geller, I'll have a link in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. That's always fun to kind of see those things. And anytime you can see Sarah Michelle Geller kind of crossing over into the New York theater world, that does my dorky soap opera and Buffy the Vampire Slayer heart good. I was just going to ask you if you were a Buffy person. Oh, yeah. I mean. And wasn't yeah. there a Buffy musical? Not that I'm aware of, but. It might have been a fringe thing. Maybe. But, I mean, I I think that would be awesome. I mean, they did they did a musical episode of, of Buffy called Once More with Feeling, which I think is the best musical episode of a non-musical TV show ever. Um I did a I talked about it on uh, it's geek to me radio uh, earlier this year in St. Louis uh, about how much I love that episode. It's so good. So check that out. You don't really need to understand much of the world of Buffy. It's all very self-contained, but also has a lot of through lines that comment and, and impact the larger serialized story as well. So check that out. Hinton Battle actually plays the bad guy, a two time Tony winner ah. Hinton Battle. Miss Saigon Hinton Battle. Mm-hmm. All right. Whiz, so. Yeah. Why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. And subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. I am on my way to finally go figure out who the last Jedi is as soon as we're done recording, James. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. Uh, Matt and I will be back with you on Wednesday morning, maybe a little bit later than normal. But uh, we'll talk to you then. (laughs) 